Well, you know that I've been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount any time that I had an opportunity uh, to preach when Bob went out of town and we had finished up chapter 5 and getting ready to go into chapter 6. Uh, but you also know that uh, Bob is now going through Matthew and so I just decided to kind of get out of his way and let him go. Uh, and so I decided to uh, look at the doctrine of adoption. Uh, this is not a sermon to challenge us to, uh, to adopt, uh, but to understand the God who has adopted. Uh, and if you uh, read the Reformers and the Puritans, uh, 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 you will see that uh, they, they call this sometimes uh, Ordo Salutis, uh, which means the order of salvation. And uh, uh, the uh, doctrine of adoption seems to, seems to be included in encompassing all of the things from the beginning to end. And so uh, eventually we will begin to track the order of, uh, of, of salvation. Uh, so today we're going to look at just the, uh, just what is adoption and uh, the, the, the initial uh, introduction to it. And so it's going to come from John chapter 1, excuse me, John chapter 3. So if you turn to John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 to us. John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The, blend, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, that is the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up, on the, uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that you that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you uh, for your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would instruct us uh, concerning your adoption uh, through John's gospel here in chapter 3. Use it to transform our lives, to conform us into your image and likeness. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right, the first uh, thing that I want to call attention to is just kind of contrast the difference between uh, God and his adoption and man and our adoption. Uh, and I'm not trying to, to, to preach a sermon that says that we need to adopt and, uh, and, uh, or anything like that. I just really focus in on uh, God's adoption. And if you uh, would look at the last point, uh, point six of my sermon, I uh, quote it, 1 John chapter 3, a, uh, verse 1a. Uh, it says, Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That's my, that's my motive. What kind of love has God shown upon us to make us children of God? So when we look at uh, the contrast between man's adoption and God's adoption, imagine with me uh, that you are preparing to adopt. And we're not just adopting a relative. We're not just adopting some strange little child. But we're getting ready to go into the orphanage. Uh, and when we go into the orphanage, we know that there's a whole lot of children there, some of many different ages, uh, and they're perhaps waiting for and hoping that you, would, that, that you would adopt. Well, the first thing that we need to realize is that God is holy, perfect, righteous, perfectly pure, and perfectly loving. And that is a contrast between us. Uh, we do not have that perfection. And I say that because the reception that we're going to receive, if you think about us going to the orphanage, what, what list have we made so that we can determine which child that we're going to pick? Well, probably some of us are going to go and see uh, which child may run up to us and grab our legs. Uh, we're going to see which child perhaps takes to us. Or when we hold a little baby, we're looking for the one that that um, gives us a special look that makes us feel warm inside. Well, that's contrary to God, because we're going to learn in a minute uh, that this loving and perfect God is going into this orphanage called the world, and he's being met with enemies of God, people that are hostile towards him, people that hold a holy hatred towards him, and this loving and perfect and holy God chooses to adopt us anyway. So behold the love of God. What kind of love is this that has made us children of God? Certainly a man like Hitler uh, would, would, would go into an orphanage uh, and will have the reception that is expected. Fear and hatred of this evil man uh, who is coming into this orphanage to adopt. But yet we have this, this loving God, this holy God that has no ill will towards his children but yet is met with hostility, that is met with, with evil. See, God does not come to see who embraces him. He doesn't come to see who is looking at him in a very special way. He's not looking for the one that runs to him because none of them are running towards him. All of them are running away from him like Adam in the garden. But yet he comes to save. Yet he comes to make his enemies his, his children. When we think of it from our perspective, when we think of uh, the pursuit of adoption, perhaps we will use excuses like, I don't want to bring generational sins or habitual sins from that particular family into my family. As if there's not already some 
generational and habitual sins in our own children. But yet we look at this child and compare it to our child and perhaps say that we don't want to adopt. That is far different than God's way of adoption. He has the perfect son, Jesus Christ. And he is going into the orphanage and selecting something completely opposite to his own son and bringing him into his family. Behold, what kind of love is this that has made you and I children of God? Our adoption includes sinners adopting sinners. God's adoption is pure love adopting hostile children to be loved by him. Therefore, before we are adopted, we need to realize and understand that we all stand condemned before God. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen, listen what it says. The only way that you are not condemned is if you believe in Jesus Christ. When Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there are now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that is the only way on the face of the planet that you stand not condemned by God. You see, the reason, reason why Jesus came into the world and he didn't condemn is because we stand condemned already. We stand condemned over the word of God. We stand condemned over the law of God. You see, uh, uh, if you're a house inspector, uh, or, if you, or if you are an arborist and you inspect trees, you might have a list of things that you're going to look at uh, before you condemn this property or before you condemn this tree. Right? You might be looking for, for a house. You, you, you might be look, looking for uh, uh, termites. You might be looking for wet wood. You might be looking for fungus on the wood. You might be looking for spongy floors. You might see partial collapse, right? And then they say, this building is condemned, and they put the yellow tape around it. Do not enter because this building uh, uh, is, is a hazard. It, it, it may fall. Well, in, in, in the same light, God has given us a list of things. God has given us his word, and his word condemns. And so you ask questions like, is man basically good? Or is man basically evil? Ecclesiastes 7-9 says, See this alone I found, the God made man upright, but they have sought after many schemes. You may ask, is it all men? Is it some men? Is there any exceptions? 
Psalm 143, 2 says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God. 2 Chronicles 6.36, there is no one who does not sin. Right? So we all stand before God in condemnation because of his word. Are people uh, uh, only, uh, only sinful at the surface? Or how deep down does this, does this condemnation go? Well, Mark chapter 7, 21 and 20 through 23 says, For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Psalm 5, 9 says, The inmost self is destruction. Are men totally depraved? Is every faculty of the person corrupted? Well, Scripture says in 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Titus 1.15-16, to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are all defiled. Right? We stand condemned before God. Listen, if the... If your house was burning down and I ran in front of the, and I drove in front of your house and I saw it, and you're on the second floor going, help me, help me, help me, and I ran over there. Look, I'm not there to, to set the house on fire. I'm not there to condemn you. I'm, to say, I'm there to save you because the house is on fire already. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is against those who suppress the truth. When you're standing in the house on the second floor, those flames are licking at your feet, and I'm there to grab you and pull you out. Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn you. The flames of hell are licking at your feet. And Christ comes and saves you out of that situation. He doesn't have to condemn. You stand condemned already. Third point, before you adopt, before you are adopt, you are in the flesh. Look at verses 4 through 6. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We, we walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the flesh. Turn over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you stand condemned, because you're doing these things. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Okay, when, 
when, when you have not been adopted, when you have not been born again, then, then you just act accordance with the flesh. You are closer to the kingdom of animals than you are to the kingdom of God. See, if your dog is home right now and you left him in the backyard and you forgot to feed them and give them some water and they're hungry and they smell something in your neighbor's yard in the trash can, they're going to jump the fence, dig underneath of it, knock the fence down, go over there, tip over the trash, run it through it, spread it all over the yard, and they're not going to take into consideration the neighbor or God. When God made us in his image and in his likeness, it was so that we can communicate him and we can consider God. A dog does not consider God. When we're walking in the flesh, we do not consider God. We walk in line with it. Right? So when, we, when somebody says something wrong towards us, they curse at us, it stirs our anger. Right? And instead of turning... Returning evil with good, we turn evil with evil and we lash out because we're just listening to the flesh. We're not considering God, we're not considering what he has said. When we commit adultery, when we fornicate, we don't ask God, God, what do you think about this, right? A dog doesn't ask that question. It just fulfills the flesh, it just goes and does it. And we can look at some, we can look at some uh, points of scriptures uh, Daniel chapter 4, 25 through 35, uh, I'll just tell you the story, but it's, uh, it's um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar sinned against God, and he says, I'm going to send you away from your people, I'm going to make you will, work in the, uh, live in the wilderness, and you're going to eat food with the cattle, or you're going to eat grass with the cattle, right? He rebelled against God, God turned him over to his flesh, and he went out and he ate food like cattle do. He calls, the, he calls the Gentile woman that came to him and, and uh, he, 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 he says, uh, she says, uh, even the pets or even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from his master's table. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, 22 uh, says that when we're saved and we go back to our sin, we're like a dog that's returning to its, return to its vomit. We, we're not taking into consideration what God has said. We're just walking in accordance with the flesh. And if we're walking with accordance with the flesh, we're not taking into consideration what God has said. Then the word of God is condemning us. And our only hope is the salvation of the Lord to save us out of the flames of hell that is licking at our feet. As it licks at the feet of all of the unsaved. We go back to our text in John chapter 3. I'll draw this, this point out. <clears throat> we walk by sight and not by faith. You know, faith comes by hearing. Walk by sight. Most of us walk by sight. If we're unsaved, that's the only option that we have is to walk by sight. So three texts I wanted to take you, I want you to, to take a look at. The first one is 3, 4, which we just read. Okay, let me set, let me set this up. Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. We're going to go over to John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman about living, living water. Okay? So he says that you must be born again. How did Nicodemus think about that? How did he rationale? He said, wait a second. I, I, I know what it means to be born. And I'm pretty old. So how is it that I'm going to enter into my mother's womb and be born again? 
You see his rationale? He was going by sight. He was going by the things that he understood in the world's context, and he wasn't understanding what God was talking about. Right? So if you go over to John chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus is meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, if you knew who stood before you, I would give you living water. How did he respond? How does she respond? Wait a minute, I, I've been coming out to this well a long time. And I know several things. One, there's no water out here except what's down in that well. And I know that you have to have a bucket and put it on that string and drop it down, and you don't have a bucket. So how can you give me living water? How, how can you give me water? I have the bucket, I should be giving you water. Right? Just worldly, com worldly common sense, just looking at the world and trying to interpret scriptures through what he sees in the world, and they're dead wrong. Because faith is not by seeing, it's by hearing the word of God and considering what God says about things. John chapter 4, if you go over to verse 34, it's another example. Uh, if you remember when Jesus was going into, the, uh, into Samaria, he sent, the, he sent the disciples to go get something to eat so that he can spend time with the Samaritan woman by, him, by himself. And it says in verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You live not on bread alone. You live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But it's not just hearing it and reading it. You have to buy it and serve him. Right? We, have to put it into, we have to put it into action. We can't just sit and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and never exercise, exercise our faith. Right? What does it look like when we sit around and eat and eat and eat and eat and we never exercise? Right? We get overweight, lazy, and everything else. Right? And so if we, if, we, if we are lacking some fulfillment, we're believers, we're lacking some fulfillment, we come to church every single Sunday, but we never apply it, maybe that's what's missing in your life that will make you feel full and filled because you are taking the Word of God and utilizing it in your life. You, you're, you're taking God into consideration in all of your actions throughout the week, applying scriptures to your life and walking the way that God has called you to walk. Next, before you are adopted, you must be born again. Before you are adopted, you must be born again. Verses 3 through 7. Now notice, they're talking about the womb and the flesh. Uh, there's some uh, uh, theological discrepancy about what this is talking about. Uh, where I land on this is that context is king. Okay, so he's talking about being born, and he's talking about being born again. Nicodemus understood the first one. Being born of a woman, right? So when you've been born of, of the water, you're born from the womb. You're in the water, in the womb, the water breaks, and then you give birth. That's the first birth. And then the next birth is spiritual. The next birth is being born again. So I don't know how many of you disagree with that interpretation, but again, context is king. That's exactly what they're talking about. And so John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be, and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and 
born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That was which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So again, born of the flesh is flesh. You know, born, being born of water is being born flesh of flesh, right? It's just the whole idea. It's in the context. Uh, so that's the two. So unbelievers many times question. I was witness. Some, I was I was talking to somebody this past week. It's probably down at Old Savannah City Mission, and uh, you know I said the wages of sin is death, and I was explaining that, and he said so that means that. That means that Christians won't die? And I said, uh, well, it's appointed to every man die once and then face judgment. And so what you're missing is Revelation 21. So let's turn over to Revelation 21. And look at verse... It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of burning fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Which is the second death. Right? So will Christians die? Yes. Will they die a second time? No. So here's, here's the principle you get here. All right, the principle here is that if you're born once, you will die twice. If you are born twice, you will die once. And who are those who will die twice? Those who are living in accordance with the flesh. Right, those who are condemned already and have not been saved. And so it says... As for the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. True Christians, Christians who have been born again, will not experience the second death. We will experience the first one. Everyone in here will join a casket in a grave one day. But not everyone here will be in hell part of the second death. Therefore, therefore, before you adopt it, you should be asking, if you're not adopted, you should be asking, how can I be born again? John chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, let me go back to 14. It says, And as Moses was lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For, the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, uh, but have eternal life. And so remember, he says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the Old Testament that you don't, you don't understand. And so Jesus helps Nicodemus in understanding and goes back to the Old Testament and teaches that Jesus is the same as the serpent, uh, that is raised up in the desert by Moses. This is Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. You can read it later, but I will tell you what happens is, is that Israel begins to sin against God, and because of that, God sends serpents, snakes, uh, poisonous snakes, into the uh, camp, and the snakes are 
biting them and they're dying. And so the, the Israelites come to Moses and say, pray to God about this issue. And he goes to God and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. He says, I want you to get a serpent. I want you to put it on a tree and I want you to raise it up. And anybody who gets bitten, I want you to tell them to look to the, to the serpent that's been raised up. And when you look at him, he will be healed. Why is that a picture of Jesus? Well, because... The problem was, or the curse was, that they were snake-bitten. In order to be healed, they had to look at a symbol or a picture of the curse, which was the snake. So you get bit by the snake, you look to the snake, and you're healed. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. Jesus says, or the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And so they were sinned, they were snake-bitten and died. Everyone is sin-bitten and dies. Jesus Christ became sin for us. It paid our penalty, died on the cross. So just like they were snake-bitten and looked to the snake, we are sin-bitten and looked at the curse that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. And when we look to him, we are saved. And we don't experience that second death. So I think there's several things that we need to see here. The first one is, is that we are all sin bitten. We are all condemned. We all will face death. Right? The word of God has condemned us all. And Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn us because we stand condemned already. But yet he came to save by dying on a cross and being raised up on Calvary as a picture of what, what we are. So that when we realize what we are, sinners deserving of death, and we look at the cross and Jesus dying in our place, paying our penalty, and we believe that, we repent of our sins and we believe on Jesus Christ. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in closing, so in closing, behold, behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Behold, what kind of love has the Father have for you and I? Hostile, enemies, rebellious. We weren't seeking him. We didn't run to him. We didn't grab his leg. We didn't pull on his shirt. We didn't goo in his eyes when he looked at us. And we didn't, nothing. We ran. And we cursed him as we were running. And God says, I'm going to save him. You know what? Something else is very significant. Very significant. We adopt. They come into our family. And we hope they change. Jesus Christ adopts. Gives you a new birth. And you do change into his image and into his likeness and become a son. Just like his. Behold. What kind of love. Father has for us. That you and I children of God. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for my adoption. I can't explain it. I don't know why. That I am rewarded for your pain on the cross. I can't explain the the love that I see from the Father and why it even was placed on me. But God, isn't that what the Christian life is? Isn't that what eternal is what eternal life is going to be? Beholding the love that God had for us in making us children. God, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.